Now take your Bible out to Mark chapter 6, if you would. Mark chapter 6, we'll be there this evening. Going to continue a uh, short series on the thought of personal responsibility, learning to ask the right questions in life when we encounter something. So often in life when we see a problem, we say, what's wrong with this, or who's responsible? Rather than asking the simple question, what can I do, and how can I be a part of the solution? I'm going to read a very familiar story, and we'll begin our reading. Um, let's, let's back up to verse number 31. I think I have it on the board, 32. But we'll begin our reading in verse 31. Mark 6, 31, And he said unto them, the disciples, Come you yourselves apart into a desert place, and rest a while. For there are many coming and going, and they had no leisure so much as to eat. And they departed into a desert place by ship privately, and the people saw them departing, and many knew him, and ran afoot thither out of all the cities, and outwent them, and came together unto him. And Jesus, when he came out, saw much people, and was moved with compassion towards them, because they were as a sheep not having a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when the day was now far spent, his disciples came unto him and said, This is a desert place, and now the time is far past. Send them away, that they may go into the country round about into the villages and buy themselves bread, for they have nothing to eat. And he, Jesus, answered and said unto them, the disciples, Give ye them to eat. And they say unto him, Well, shall we go and buy two hundred penny worth of bread? And give them to eat. And he said to them, How many loaves have ye? Go and see. And when they knew, they say, Five and two fishes. And he commanded them to make all sit down by companies upon the green grass. And they sat down in ranks by hundreds and by fifties. And when he had taken the five loaves, the two fishes, he looked up to heaven, and he blessed and brake the loaves, and gave them to his disciples to set before them. And the two fish divided he among them all, the thousands. And they did all eat and were filled. And they took up twelve basketfuls of the fragments of the fishes. And they that did eat of the loaves were about five thousand men, and of course their families beside. Our Heavenly Father, I pray in the next few moments as we look at this very simple thought, Lord, this instruction that you gave to the disciples, that Lord, in many ways they forfeited that, Lord, we would do better, and that we could take personal responsibilities for the challenges and the opportunities of life. And I ask for your help with this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thank you so much for standing. I'm probably like you. I have numbers of passages in the Bible that um, I have a special affinity for, just things that I like. I love the story in Luke chapter 12 about the barn builder, and there's so many things and principles there about life, and that life is more. Life is more than we realize, and life is more than we think, and life is more than we give ourselves to. I, I really love Matthew chapter 24, which we're, we're studying a little bit about on Sunday mornings, Matthew 25 and 26, and uh, the principles that we found there that, you know, discipline is an important part of life, and we, we need to give ourselves to that. And then this story, I've always really enjoyed this feeding of the 5,000, which is really recorded um, there's three different incidents here recorded three times in three different Gospels. And there's a lesson here because of its, re, its repetition that I, I think the Lord wants us to learn from and, uh, you know, apply to our lives. The story itself, of course, is fascinating and can teach us many things. 
Of course, I think first and foremost, it teaches us a lot about Christ. When you read the story, you see him as a central figure here, and we, we learn a lot about him. In the text, we learn about the heart of the Savior, and that's first, and uh, I think, evident and obvious. We see something about his heart. And in verse number 34, the Bible says of Christ, when he saw a crowd of people uh, seeking the truth, you know, needing help, uh, as he said, they're, they're like sheep without a shepherd. The Lord says that he had compassion on them. And we see that the God of heaven isn't just the creator, but he's a compassionate God and that he loves people. He loves the humanity that he created and he cares about us. So we see this so many times you know, repeated in the word of God. Jesus was so much more than just a teacher. He was more than a scribe. And he was more than, you know, the ultimate hero. He was all those things. But besides these things, Christ, the Lord, is compassionate. Hebrews 4.15 says, For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. The, the Lord knows that when our heart hurts. He knows when we're sad. He knows when we have anxiety. And He's not just there always to rebuke and correct us, but He loves us. He has compassion for us in these moments. In 1 Peter 5.7, He says, Cast all your care upon Him, for He careth for you. And we see this care in the text. Jesus, in the Bible here, genuinely cares and has empathy, and not just in terms of emotion, but He's moved and compelled to action. Jesus saw people in a late hour and day, He knew they had need, and then He did something about that. We learn of the heart of Christ. Secondly, we can also learn from the text about the deity of Christ. And of course, this is what we call a miracle, and is it indeed Miraculous! From a couple of loaves and some fishes, Jesus does, you know, just the most amazing thing. This text allows us to see the Creator of all the world in action. Colossians 1.16, it says, For by Him, Christ, were all things created that are in heaven, that are on the earth, visible, that means the stars, sun, and moon, all we can see, and the invisible, the atoms, molecules, and the quarks of life. Quarks, not quirky people, but the quarks of life. All things were created by Him and for Him. And with a simple prayer of blessing, Jesus fashions atoms together and makes carbohydrates and proteins, fish and bread, so people can be nourished and fed and in need met. But the text also teaches us something about ourselves and about the nature of humanity. In verse number 34, we learn that we are like sheep, uh, and we need instruction that uh, left on our own without guidance, we could probably go astray. We, we, we come in need. You and I stand every day in the need of the Word of God and the direction that it provides. We need the spiritual food that the Word of God provides for us. We know this, that man does not live on bread alone. Um, and they needed that on this day, but they needed more importantly, the Word of God that Jesus was teaching. And so we see that in the text. But to our point tonight, in terms of application, um, and the idea that we're continuing of learning to be more directly, personally responsible, tucked away in the text are five words um, that teach us something that I think is really important about ourselves and something that Jesus wants us to learn to apply. Now, those five words are these simple words that you've heard me repeat from this pulpit before. Here's a problem. It's a need, it's an opportunity, however you want to cast it. There are 5,000 men, women and children beside that. It's late at night, um, 
they have been without food all day long. They've given themselves to following the Lord. If you've been in Israel, the Sea of Galilee is not that large. And they can see this ship and literally in some ways you can kind of run to where the ship might be, you know, putting to land. And, and, and they're hungry. And so the disciples report this problem to Jesus and he looks at them and he simply says, give ye them to eat. In other words, he turns the table very quickly and he says, you're coming to me, but you're here. You see the need. Um, you see the problem. Give ye them to eat. Well, those five words suggest application for us tonight in a number of ways. And the first one is simply this. The Lord wants you and the Lord wants me to be more personally responsible to meet the needs of people. It's really easy for us to institutionalize our touch, for you and I to kind of come to church and give, and that's right, and it's appropriate to be involved in different ministries or whatever else, but you know, we really don't operate outside the bounds of that. We, we can live a rather sterile life and you know, void of ministry, of getting our hands, so to speak, dirty. And Jesus wants more from His disciples, that would include us, than that. Jesus wants me and He wants you to be personally responsible in meeting the needs of other people. He wants us, in right and appropriate ways, to own the responsibility for getting necessary things done. In other words, when things need to be done and you see it, then He wants you to be the doer of, of, of getting the things done. So first, let's kind of you know, dissect the text with that in view. The first thing I see is when the disciples were confronted with the need, opportunity, the situation, their first response was to use circumstances as an excuse for not getting personally involved. So, you know, the text reports, this is what the disciples first noticed. Well, it's late. You know, the day is far spent. Um, you know, there's, there's no place for food around here. And, and so they, they begin this kind of iteration of, if you will, all the reasons of all the excuses that they couldn't be any personal help to them. And so their solution to the dilemma was just send them away. Just don't, just not worry about it. Let's just send them away. Now, this is a tendency of humanity that is probably not absent in our hearts and lives as well. We may be presented with a challenge, an opportunity, a need, but perhaps there are times when we see that we excuse ourselves from having any active part in doing something about it because of some dilemma of you know, circumstance. Well, I, I see a need here, but it's, it's kind of late. There's something that needs to be done, but boy, I, I don't have enough time. There's something that needs to be done, but, you know, I really don't know what I could do more than they can do. And, you know, one of the favorites that we often employ is, well, that's really not my area of concern. Somebody else probably should take care of that. Our eyes, uh, far too often, and our hearts are focused on the reasons why we can't do something. You know, we look at our limited resources and limited ability, and we, you know, we feign a little bit of um, self-deprivation and false humility. Well, you know, I really can't do much to that. I, I really can't help. 
Uh, or, you know, maybe we really feel like we, we can't. And instead, instead of trying, we do nothing. So we consider our limited resources. We, we always look at the unavailability of our time, which is fascinating to me because, you know, we all live in the same amount of time. 24 hours is given to all of us. We all live in a seven-day week. You know, 365 days is a, is a portion to us all. It's amazing to me that some people can get so much more done than others in that same allotment of time. Uh, that's just too mark, what's short for me. That's inconvenient. Or, again, somebody else's job. Well, Jesus' reply to all of this attitude, all of this, you know, it's late, I can't, whatever else, is he still looks right at them and he says, in the late hour, with limited resources, like none of this is lost on the Lord. He says, um, you do something about it. You do something about it. At least make an attempt. Try to get personally involved. Um, and I'm, I'm adding to the text, you know, give me some solutions. Offer something. You know, how, how can you help? And, and, and in a moment you see they just offer an excuse. And so the second thing I see in the text is verse 35. They said to him, so he asked them to get involved. And then Bob says, he said to them, which is what we do, we tend to want someone else to do something about the problems and challenges that we see. We tend to want somebody else to do something about the problems that we see. So these guys see the problem and they go to Jesus. Now, going to Jesus certainly is not a bad idea, but they, they didn't go with the heart of compassion that he had. They just saw the problem and wanted it to be dismissed, to send them away. They passed on any meaningful suggestions. Uh, they presented no willingness to be a part or to help. They just expected uh, the Lord to use his position, his resource and authority, to make the problem go away. In other words, they, they, they didn't even ask the Lord to take care of them. He just wanted the Lord to use His authority to get rid of them, to send them away, to send them to the villages. Now, again, it's not what they were suggesting here is wrong or evil or, you know, really even maybe condemnable. It's just not the heart the Lord wants from people like us. The Lord wants something more for us than that. He wants us to realize that we have Him as a resource and that maybe through Him, you and I can do something about the problems, the opportunities of life. What they suggested has a kind of common sense to it. But Jesus wanted and wants something more from His disciples than just, than just doing maybe what maybe makes sense to us. He wants us to genuinely care, to get involved, and again, you know, it's not that sometimes we don't see a problem. Um, it's just that we pass it by. Um, you know, maybe if we saw something that needed to be done in a good moment, we may not just completely ignore it, but we might go find someone else and report the problem. And then, you know, we leave feeling as though we have been responsible. So, okay, I'm going to be unkind here. No, I'm not going to be unkind. I'll give an example. So, someone comes and says, hey, pastor, room 143, the floor is dirty and the chairs need to be straightened up. Okay? And so, what I want to say is, well, you know where the vacuum cleaner is. 
And you probably have more time than I do in the moment to straighten the chairs. Okay? So, you know, they're thinking, well, that, you know, that's not my classroom. That's not where I, go to, that's not where I, where I attend and yada, yada, yada. And it just all too often fails to occur to us that it might just be easier to walk into the room, grab the vacuum cleaner, vacuum the carpet, straighten the chairs, and look here, if nobody in the world did that you did that, that's okay. Because it's not lost on the Lord. You know, now I don't expect people in the church to walk around fixing broken toilets. But if you can, feel free to, you know. Um, there are times that we report things that we don't have the expertise. You get the idea, don't you? I mean, I, you know, I'm not being unkind. I'm just simply saying, it's not that I think we have ill intent or, you know, we're even absent good intent. It's just that we just don't think about giving people something to eat when we can, of meeting a need when we can do it. Um, you know, we, we might start, but it's just not something we normally do anything about. So, I want to offer some suggestions here. When we see a need, when we see something like this happen, you know, there's another way we can do this is instead of just reporting the problem, which is fine, but then you might say, and by the way, what can I do to be a help? What can I do to be a help? Um, you know, instead of expecting some unassigned, unnamed group of people who that's responsibility. For example, again, you, you can help out in your Sunday school class even if you're not formally assigned a position. You don't have to wear an usher's badge to play the role of an usher sometimes. Um, you know, you can look at the crumbs on the floor and you can ignore it. That's a poor choice. You can report it to a teacher. That's a better choice. But the best thing to do is find the sweeper and take care of it. You, uh, you know, we're, we're trying to get these, these tracks out. And the tracks are simply a medium of imitation. They're a way, they're a segue between where we are and where a lost person is, or where we are and someone who needs a church family. It's, it's just a segue into the church. It's just a means of doing that. You have other ways, that's great. You have better ways, I want to hear about it. But so we send out these invitations. Okay, we come in here and all of us love Eastland Baptist Church. We love this place. We love the fellowship. We have people we want to talk to. And, and all of that is, is good and right. But then we can't forget the mission and the priority is that we're to be salt and light. We're to reach out to others. We're to look upon people with a heart of compassion, with less self-interest, and do something to be a help to them. And, and so we see someone come in and we do this. We can ignore them. That's a poor choice. We can go get an usher. That's a better choice. Or you can personally walk up to them, introduce yourself, get their name. Okay, here we go. Real spirituality. Offer them your seat. Okay, offer them another seat. We'll go in small steps. <laughs> Offer them a seat, ask if their kids know where their classes are at, spend you know, a nominal amount of time attempting to be genuinely interested. How'd you hear about our church? We're glad that you're here. Have you been here before? 
you know, did, did, have you gone to Sunday school here? You know, this, this simple things that convey to the guest that's taken the time to get up early, come to our church. They have no clue what to expect, but they're presently surprised to find someone other than a staff member that's interested in their presence. Now that would be a good stewardship of the larger effort of inviting people to church. Quite simply, take ownership. Take some ownership. Yes, it's my job to do that. And yes, I try. That's why I dismiss myself from every service. I walk to the back and I try to present myself available. But I understand that, you know, I mean, I hardly think I'm intimidating, but I understand by my position, someone not, might not feel the freedom or, or they may see other people there. And so when you, if you see someone standing there, walk up and fill the gap of time for them. You know, help people. It is just maddening and would be frustrating for you to go spend some time this coming week on a hot, sweaty night, inviting someone to come. The Holy Spirit works in the heart to that track and invitation. They come to church and they come here and we are too busy, not doing a bad thing, but fellowshipping to stop what we're doing, to see the need and to personally be involved in making that person feel welcome. That's just a total waste and poor stewardship of, the, of what we're trying to do. When you see a, a, a need, well, be part of the solution. Um, verse 37 teaches that we should learn to impoverish ourselves for someone else's gain. Or, you know, we need to learn to take time for others. When it's, and I understand it's our nature to want to spend time on ourselves. And there's nothing wrong with wanting to fellowship and do those things. And I, of course, I'm making an application for the church. And we need not to avoid things because they take our time or our work. We're better than that. As, as a disciples of Christ, we need to learn to give our lives, to give people something to eat, to sacrifice our time, to give of our resources, to inconvenience ourselves because people, well, they need that. And that's the heart of the Lord. So, you know, all too often there's just a problem, as Brother Daniel has suggested for two weeks with the line of our questions. All too often we ask the wrong ones, you know, um, and we often have the wrong attitude about something. I can't believe, you know, that that ceiling tile has been bad for six weeks. Okay, I work here every day, but that doesn't mean that I walk into the third grade girls Sunday school class and look at the ceiling. Now, I'm not saying that's not my responsibility. It 100% is. And I've encouraged the guys, you know, once a week, once a month, walk the building, you know, help. We need to have eyes to see what we just have grown accustomed to. But here's the thing. If you're in there and you see it, um, and I'm not suggesting that one of you ladies, you know, get a chair and try to replace the ceiling tile. But it'd be okay if you got your husbands to do it. You know, or, or find someone. Own, the, own it. Just don't ask what's wrong with those guys, what's wrong with these people. Look here, you're the people. You're the church. I just have a function and a role in the church, but you're the church. It's your church. Have some, have some pride. Have some, some ownership in how the place looks, how things are done. If you're walking up from the lower lot to the upper lot and there's trash everywhere, I know you're in your Sunday best, but there's trash sacks in this closet right over here. I'm dead serious. 
there's trash sacks right in that closet. Just walk in that door right inside, grab one of them, and you can walk right back down there and pick up that, that junk. Now, we have guys who do that every week. But if for some reason a tornado comes in the area and dumps trash at Eastern Baptist Church on a Saturday night, am I communicating? Okay, this, we're a church family. You know, um, if, if my kids come to the house and, 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 it was, and it was a mess and they knew somebody was coming, you know, for them just to sit there and offer no assistance, well, then I've done a, poor, a horrible job of training my kids. And so I just want us to have this attitude. But this is what I think Brother Daniel's trying to communicate to us is let's ask the right questions. How can I be a help? You know, we need to ask questions that include us. Let's not have a, let's not, um, you know, walk around responsibility. Let's not have wrong attitudes about things that are wrong. Um, when a problem and challenge is being presented, don't act like there's no solution. Because all too often, the solution just might be you. You know, I do, uh, <coughs> excuse me, my voice squeaks. Um, we do a new members class. And one of the first things I say to people in that new members class is this. I say, you know, I don't have any idea what your reception was like here. You know, I don't know if you were warmly greeted, if you've been attending for weeks and, and don't feel like people are friendly. But this is, one of the, this is the way I, I try to start people in the church. And I say to them, but if that's true, any of that's true for you, I'm sorry. We're working on being better, but do this. If you choose to join, why don't you help us fix that problem? And you come and you be friendly. And, and you assist people. And you be that which we are lacking because maybe that's the reason God brought you here. And so that's the way I want you to know that I'm trying to introduce people to the church is don't just come here and take. Um, that is just, that is not elementary Christianity. Come in and be a giver. And the more you give, you're going to discover the more you're going to get. Think with me for a moment. How many great Bible stories would be forfeit if David said, shall I go down and face a giant? Okay, that's what these disciples says. Well, shall we, shall we go try to find bread for these people? Well, think about this, the great story would be lost if David said, well, shall I go down and face a giant? If Moses said, shall I just lead them with a stick and a staff? If Abraham said, do you want me to travel how far? If Gideon said, shall I go to war with just 300? If Joseph said, you really expect me to still have a good attitude after all my brothers did to me? I mean, <laughs> what would be lost? Listen, the opposite of all of this is found, and I'm going to distill it from the five words to two. The opposite of all that is this. You give. You give. You do something. The word give here in the Greek means to offer something, to bestow something, uh, to make. I love this part of the definition. To give here means to make something happen. It means to pour out. You pour out. You make something happen. You 
provide for the needs of others. You be a part of what we're trying to do. The idea is taking personal responsibility, having personal investment in the Lord's work, personal involvement. I mean, you know, all of us enjoy the spirit of Eastland Baptist Church, don't we? This morning I walk in here and, you know, it's, it's, it's alive. Tonight, the same way. Okay? Make sure you're part of that. Make sure you're part of the spirit that we are proud of, of what we enjoy. Make sure that you contribute to the good spirit. That you contribute to our ability to be generous to other churches and other people, to support missionaries. You pour out to make those things happen. You have investment. You have involvement. And when we do these things, then I think we'll begin to fulfill what the Lord wants here. This week, with our emphasis on inviting someone, I, I told you more than 50,000 tracks is completely arbitrary. Whether we do that or not is, is you know, not my, con it's not the concern. My concern is that everyone in this room takes a track and invites someone. Now, whatever that number is, you know, then, I, then we'd all be happy with that if we all try to do something with that. The, the number is just an arbitrary challenge, to be perfectly honest. The challenge is more this. You go. You give. You invite someone. You pour out. You even, in the text, late at night, limited resources, don't feel like you have the ability. Look here, that's all of our week, isn't it? Anyone have a week not like that? Everyone just have an abundance of idle free time? None of us do. No one in this room has that. No one has that. But I'm going to look at you and say, you give. You do something about the need that's in Tulsa. You do something about helping to support. And I'm not saying you're not. You do something about helping us make sure that there's a guest here. Guests here every week because of what we do. This coming week, take some personal responsibility for what happens next Sunday. Cliché, but I like it. See a need, take the lead. Don't just judge the spirit of a service, contribute to it. So come and smile and sing, be friendly, be helpful. When you hear about a need, when you hear about a, a prayer request, you're about a concern, don't just assume for the moment that that is just information. Uh, a few weeks ago, a prayer letter was read in a Sunday school class. And the Lord touched a man's heart to give $5,000 towards that need. And the church jumped in and did something too. And uh, um, I, the letter, Brother Terry Unruh, many of you know him, he wrote the most amazing, gracious, thankful reply I've ever, I've ever heard from him. He sent pictures. He was absolutely touched that one church would meet that whole need. And that's, that's not anything for us to do, but for that individual, it was. And he, he this person was responsible for van loads, van loads of groceries and supplies that in Sri Lanka, the, the country's falling apart. You can't find anything. And this man had a part, and, and only the Lord knows how many families 
being fed fish and loaves because he heard about something and that it did something with it. Actions like that change the world. Actions like that will change your life and change our heart. On this day, 5,000 people were fed. And more than that, the disciples learned a lesson. They learned something about the heart of God, and they learned something about their own hearts as well. I'm going to make this assumption. Not only were the 5,000 fed, but those men were too. And so too were their hearts. So let's take some personal responsibility, some ownership of our world, of our church, of our neighborhood, of the things that are happening around us. Let's take those and do something with them. Let's ask for the God's, God's help, certainly. And let's just see what might happen. All right, let me ask you to stand.